0: Let's go to God in prayer and ask him to speak to us. Father, we confess that even if you speak, we can't hear. Our ears are deaf, and if if we do hear, our hearts are too hard for the word to go deep into us. So we beg you now to open our ears, cause our eyes to see, cause the word to go deep in us. And we trust that your word, when it is set forth, will not return void. It will accomplish what it sets out to do. And you will supply every need according to the riches of your glory in Christ. In him we put our hope now. Amen. Sometimes I like to command my children to do things that I know they can't accomplish on their own. It's usually something that's not really humanly impossible for them to do, but I know that they're going to think so. But it provides an opportunity for them to try to think outside of themselves in order to be obedient. Maybe they'll figure out a way to work together by God's extraordinary grace. Or even better, I would love if they would just come back to me and ask me, Dad, will you help me? And I would love to. Living on a farm provides us many opportunities for this kind of work. Recently, we asked our kids to help harvest a bunch of miniature pumpkins called Jack Be Littles. The task requires the kids to go out and dig through all of the vines and find these baseball-sized pumpkins and toss them into five-gallon pails. It's not a really difficult task, but it is tedious. And for a six-year-old boy, tedious is impossible. A little guy standing there in an acre of little pumpkins with 50 buckets stacked up ready for him to fill. He's quickly overwhelmed by the impossibility of this task. But he did ask his dad to help. And so I walked down to the field with him and, and encouraged him along the way, constantly reminding him how to do it, showing him how to do it. I picked a few of my own buckets and tossed a few pumpkins into his when he wasn't looking. And when we finished the required amount of work, he felt like he accomplished something pretty great. I want my kids to hear my commands as not just commanding them to do something hard, but inviting them to accomplish something far greater than they ever realized they could, because I'm willing to help them do it. And sometimes God gives us commands that seem impossible for us as well, but he promises to do the impossible through us. Last week, Jake reminded us that we are to be bold in our proclamation of truth, no matter the cost. And there might be one or two of you who were emboldened by that message to go out and do such a thing. But if you're anything like me, I'm sure many of the rest of you were thinking, how can I do that? You have all kinds of concerns and doubts and questions floating around in your mind. I know many of your stories, I know you're full of fear, you're tired, you're weak, you can barely even open your own mouth to speak, how are you going to be able to have a powerful influence like Jake commanded us to have last week, like John the Baptist did, you might as well be commanding me to fly, to flap my arms and fly out of here, because in my mind it doesn't make any sense, it's impossible. But in our familiar passage for today, we're going to see that Jesus provides more than enough in himself to satisfy all of our needs and enable us to obey him completely, no matter how impossible it seems. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 13 to 21. Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. We'll see how the king empowers his people. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw the crowd, the great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and gave a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our main idea from this familiar text today is that Jesus is more than enough to satisfy and supply your every need. No matter what desperation you are feeling right now, No matter how tired and discouraged you are or how impossible it seems to obey. Jesus is more than enough to satisfy and supply your every need. So Jake told us last week we're supposed to be bold in our proclamation of truth. And for many of us, that seems like an impossible task. How can we do that when some of us can barely even take care of ourselves and our own family? But I want to encourage you today that Jesus doesn't just... Come and give you the things that you think you need to take the next step, to survive another day. He himself is what you need, and he is more than enough. So we're going to approach this text in three parts with the outline in your bulletin. First, we'll look at the Lord's compassion in verses 13 and 14, how Jesus identifies deeply with all of our needs. And then, in verses 15 to 18, feel the weight of the world's desolation. What are these needs that we think need to be satisfied? And then finally, we'll rest in the abundant provision of Christ's of Christ as we understand the Savior's satisfaction in 19 through 21. So let's look back in these first two verses of our text to see the Lord's compassion. In verse 13. And when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Remember what had just happened in the previous section: John the Baptist confronted, stood the truth for the truth. He stood boldly for the truth, confronting Herod Antipas. He called the highest authority in Galilee to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He challenged directly the authority of Rome with the authority of God, and he lost his own head for it. He was standing boldly for the truth. So John loses his head for standing for the truth, and his disciples are defeated, dejected, And they come back to Jesus. They report this gruesome, horrific news. Jesus, your follower John died. He was killed for standing for you. And we see in verse 13 how Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a desolate place by himself. He wanted to be alone. He didn't use this as an opportunity to rally the troops to some revolution. We're going to go Bring justice to John. He didn't teach, begin to teach on how God has a wonderful plan for John without a head, how God is working all things together for John to be headless. He withdrew from there to be alone. You can start to feel the weight of the sorrow he has over the situation. John was his partner in bringing truth, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. John was his cousin whose miraculous birth story had intersected with his own miraculous birth story. John was a friend who baptized him. He's another human being, an image bearer of God who was killed gruesomely. What horrific news to be told. Jesus felt this loss deeply. He wanted to go be alone to grieve. But not only that, did he want to be alone? He probably had to be alone in order to stay on his mission. John battled with the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Rome in his life, in his proclamation. And he lost his head for it. And Jesus was not yet ready to take that battle upon himself. He had to stay true to his mission, to his calling. He didn't want to start an uprising, so he fled. He withdrew. He escaped the threat of yet another Herod trying to take his life. Jesus doesn't want to fight that battle yet. Certainly he is the king of kings and lord of lords. One day he's going to subject all kingdoms beneath his feet, but not yet. First, he must establish himself as the perfect representative of his people, He's going to enter into their desolation along with them, into their suffering and pain. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 17, explains this when it says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for sin of his people. Hebrews 4 adds to that this wonderfully encouraging verse that so many of us cling to. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He's entering into the desolation that we feel every day. He's proving his humanity to become the perfect sacrifice for sin. And we see that they're taking the desolation upon himself because of the loss of his dear friend. And yet Though he wants to be alone, he can't find a a place desolate enough to escape the crowds. They still find him as he comes to shore on his boat. There's a great crowd awaiting him there. And he doesn't tell them, go away, I need to be alone. Go away, I'm praying. He looks at them, and Matthew writes he had compassion on them. We've seen this word before. This compassion means this heart wrenching, gut-churning, deep-seated emotion that moves you to do something on behalf of the people. Compassion is a Latin word that means suffer with. He is suffering with them. He can't tell them to go away. These are the people he came to save by becoming like them. So let's move on to the next few verses and see what it is he is rescuing them from this desolation of the world that moves Jesus to such compassion look back at verse 15 now when it was evening the disciples came to him and said this is a desolate place and the day is now over send the crowds away to the villages to buy food for themselves but Jesus said they need not go away you give them something to eat they said to him we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. So the people catch up to Jesus. They're excited to finally meet him. They need him. They've heard stories about him. This man who confronts authorities and comes and helps ordinary, weak, broken people. Verse 14 says he healed their sick. They need help with healing, but they need more than just healing from physical illness they they think too that they need healing and rescue from this roman oppression maybe this is going to be the guy that finally rescues us from rome and they stick around all day long waiting for him to finally rally the troops let's go let's attack rome altogether. but the day is getting long they sit around all day and it finally comes to an end and what do they have Nothing but empty stomachs. The disciples are a little concerned. This isn't making sense. We should probably send them home now, Jesus. Notice that the text doesn't say that they had compassion like Jesus had. It was just not making sense in their mind. They were confused. They tell Jesus to send them back home to go get some food because they can't take care of them. This is a desolate place. The word translated desolate place means desert or wilderness. There's nothing growing here. Nobody would live here. So how can we sustain this group of people here for very long? Jesus, the compassionate thing to do is to send them away to eat. And the only thing they have is five loaves of bread and two fish. Certainly they can't do anything with that. Might be enough for one family, but not for a large crowd. These aren't loaves of bread that you'd go buy from the store, some wonder bread that's like this long and nice and thick. It's probably just a little piece of flatbread, about that big around. You could shove a few in your pocket. And a couple of fish. What grows in the Sea of Galilee is a tilapia or maybe some sardines, something barely the size of your hand. This is a meal that's nice and compact for a day journey. You throw it in your pocket, go out for the day, and there's enough nutrients in there to get you back home without being too hungry. This is not enough for a large crowd. The people are getting hungry. The disciples remind them, Jesus, the logic here isn't making any sense. If you were compassionate, you'd send them home from this desolate place. This is impossible what you're trying to do with these people. If Jesus, you're so compassionate, why don't you send them home? But Jesus knows that they're desolation is far more than this physical hunger, than empty stomachs. Their desolation is a spiritual starvation. And when you're starving, when you're so hungry, you don't think right. You don't process logic right. So sin has caused them to think that maybe food is the most pressing situation right now, the lack of food. Or the crowd, sin has blinded them to think that Roman oppression is their greatest threat. They need rescue instead from their blindness of sin, from the oppression of Satan. They need to be fed a bread that satisfies their souls, not just their physical hunger. As a pastor, I get the honor of hearing many of your stories and how God has sovereignly chose to bring suffering into your life. I hear of loneliness through the single life. I hear of divorce ripping families apart and depression that tears away every word of encouragement and hope. Some of you have battles with unwanted internal desires that constantly remind you of how far away from God's design you are. Abuse has heaped guilt and shame upon some of you. Addiction keeps pulling you back into a battle that you can never win. Someone in your family, maybe yourself, is suffering from physical illness or a disability that you can't bring any healing to. All of these things are just reminders, constant nagging reminders of our desolation in this world. And we say, God, when are you going to feed me? Aren't you compassionate? Sin has destroyed this good creation. It drags everything, every good thing into suffering and pain and ultimately death. And these are the types of things the Savior weeps over. He does have compassion for you. But his solution isn't to simply give you the things that you think you need to survive another day. A healed body, a new baby, a better husband or a husband at all more money. What you need is a bread that satisfies your soul and then supplies you to live as God commands. So let's turn back to verse 19 and see this satisfaction that the Savior brings us. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So at first it does look a little bit like he's just meeting their physical need for food. We've heard this story before, many of us, that Jesus has 5,000 people sitting in front of him, five loaves, two fish, he multiplies it, and now everyone is happy and satisfied they can go home knowing that Jesus takes care of people. Or maybe it's a little bit more than that, that Jesus displays through a spectacular miracle that he has authority over all creation, and you should trust him with your life. I don't know how it happened. The text doesn't really say how he multiplied it. It just says that he took this single family meal and turned it into a meal for thousands. In my mind, I'm kind of imagining that he's got Dora's backpack and he keeps reaching in and pulling more out. And you're wondering, how did that fit in there? Another loaf of bread, another loaf for you. Oh, look, here's a fish for you. Just incredible for 5,000 people. How many is 5,000 people? Let's really ponder this together. The Mayo Civic Center, if you've been downtown to the Mayo Civic Center, that holds about 5,000 people in the arena for a concert. That's a lot of people. Can you imagine standing there teaching people all day long in that arena without any amplification? I had to switch out a microphone just to speak to this room no amplification, all day long, yelling to the people way in the back so they can hear you. And you get to the end of the day, you're tired and hungry, and you realize they're hungry too. Well, the Mayo Civic Center has dozens of staff there to feed a full-capacity event. They have multiple kitchens and food stands all over the place, so people can go and be fed at all of those. National food vendors back up the big semi-trucks full of food so that 5,000 people could be fed at a big concert. And yet Jesus feeds more than 5,000 people with five loaves of bread, two fish, and 12 disciples. Incredible. And there may have even been more than 5,000 people there. Matthew says there's 5,000 men besides women and children. Why would he say it that way? Does he despise women and children? They're not worthy of counting. Or maybe there was actually only men there. This is actually a common Old Testament way of reporting the number of people in the Israelite camp. It's not saying that women and children aren't important. It's saying there are 5,000 men ready and able to fight at any moment. Matthew's probably giving us a little hint here of what the people are expecting. John the Baptist just confronts Rome and loses his head is what an opportunity to call for the soldiers to rally behind Jesus to bring justice. Jesus goes out into the wilderness. That's the common place in the ancient world where you would go and gather a people. Nobody would go out there and find out what your plans are, how many people you've got. Suddenly you've got this huge army where you can storm the big city. These 5,000 many men showed up ready to fight. But again, Jesus knows that oppression from Rome is not their deepest need. Their desolation is not injustice from society. There's 15,000 or more people here who are desperate to be rescued from the desolation of sin and satanic oppression. And so Jesus uses this occasion to point them to something far greater in himself, something far more satisfying. The way the text is structured, the flow of the conflict rising up to the climax leads us to verses 19 and 20. Pointing us right to this satisfaction. In the Greek, you can see the verb structure a little bit better. Focusing on the main verbs. He said a blessing, gave to the disciples, and they all ate and were satisfied. Yes, Jesus did. Meet their immediate need for food, but he did it in such a unique way to show them that it's far more than food they needed. Two times in this text, we hear the word, the phrase, desolate place. That's one word that's translated in many other places, wilderness. So you shouldn't think of like a Sahara Desert type situation where, man, there's sand and wind blowing around and maybe a cactus. A good Bible student should think of other wilderness experiences. Maybe go all the way back to the book of Numbers and remember that Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The same word is translated there, desolate place. Forty years in a place with nothing to eat, nowhere to find food. And yet God provided for them, didn't he? What did he provide? He gave them manna, bread from heaven. Incredible provision for them. But was that satisfying to them? Not at all. This manna only showed up every day, and they could gather enough for that day, not for for tomorrow. And they would eat it day after day. If they saved any, it would rot. It wasn't that good. It tasted a little bland. And so they began to complain. They argued with God. And so he killed them. They all died in the wilderness, an entire generation. This bread from heaven was not enough to satisfy their souls. And then this same scene is revisited back in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan grabs a hold of Jesus and pulls him out into the wilderness for 40 days without food. It's the same word there, desolate place. For 40 days, Jesus didn't eat, proving that he is the more faithful Israel, the more faithful Son of God who is. Stood true to God, did not complain, did not murmur when he was hungry. Satan told him, why don't you turn those stones there into bread? He said, he rebuked Satan and said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus didn't need to create bread to to eat. He is the bread of life that satisfies. He himself is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And now here we are with another large crowd in the wilderness, needs to eat just like Israel, just like Jesus did. And feeding them in this way, Jesus is telling them, man does not live by bread and fish alone, but by the word of God. He's saying, I am the word of God. I am the bread of life. I am the only thing that will satisfy all of your desires. Jesus is your provision. Yes, you need food, but even more than food or freedom from oppression or a new husband or healing, you need the one who created all of those desires in you to point you to him as the only one who can satisfy them. If you have Christ, you have all you need. Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus knows your needs. He knows the desolation you live in. But this isn't a promise that he's going to give you the food that your body craves, or the health, or the money, or the spouse, or the children. But he will provide for your deeper need. Rescue from sin, rescue from judgment, and death, and isolation from God, and despair in this world. And when he finally rescues all of his people all over the earth, then, then he will fully satisfy all of those lesser needs. And until then, we can sing, all I have is Christ, because all we need is him. All of these lesser needs just point us to hunger for him and how we can be satisfied in him. His satisfaction is so much greater than a really cold beer on a Hundred degree day. His satisfaction is greater than the pleasure of reunited lovers. His satisfaction is greater than your abuser finally getting the justice he deserves. His riches, his provision is abundant. Paul says, according to his riches, how much are his riches? Infinite, unending, everlasting. They never run out. They just continue to flow out of him forever and ever right into our hearts. Notice how Matthew writes after they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. This is Christ's abundant provision for his people. There's more left over than there was to begin with. No matter what your desolation is today, brothers and sisters, Jesus has enough grace for you and the person sitting next to you. He has enough mercy for this church and for every other church in this city. He has enough love for all of this country and every nation on earth. All of it with an abundance to spare. This is the infinite, extravagant love of our Savior. And he calls us today to enjoy it forever. Don't wait another day. Don't think like the the disciples about the logic of whether it fits together. Just receive it. Be satisfied in Christ today. And when he calls you to feast on this bread of life, he doesn't just satisfy your soul, but he supplies you with an abundance of leftovers to give, to offer to your neighbor. And we're right back where we started. Jake encouraged us to be bold in our proclamation of truth, no matter the cost. But we're thinking, how can we do that when I have so little to give? And the answer is right here in the text. When the disciples wanted to send away the crowd, Jesus rebuked them. In verse 16, he said, you give them something to eat. Are you kidding me, Jesus? I've got nothing. That's what Jake told us last week. You go give the truth to the world. And your response inside is, how can I? All I have is five loaves of two fish. I've got nothing. But when Jesus gets a hold of you and satisfies your soul, then he uses you to bring that marvelous satisfaction to others. Notice in verse 19 that Jesus didn't miraculously just say, be satisfied. And everyone's tummy was all of a sudden full. He didn't snap his fingers and Everybody had a loaf of bread and a fish in each hand. Incredible. No. He gave he said a blessing and gave it to the disciples. He gave the miracle to the disciples. It doesn't tell us how Jesus did this miracle because he wants us to know that he works his miracles through ordinary people just like you and me. His plan for eternity was to pour himself into people who are regularly helpless and dependent upon him. This is the great news of the gospel. He created us in his image to be satisfied in him forever with each other. And we said, no thanks, I'll find satisfaction elsewhere. And we brought curses upon ourselves into this world because we didn't want his provision. But he wasn't done. He said, no, I will have my glory in those people. So he sent his son to live that perfectly satisfied in the father and his spirit life. He lived every way satisfied in the father that we could not. And he took the death, the curse, the starvation that we deserved on the cross. But he rose from the dead saying, no, these are my people and I will pour my love into them. And now he can do it in us again. God didn't need us. He didn't create the world because he had some lack in himself. He said, oh, I need to be satisfied, so I'm going to make these people. In his Trinitarian three persons for all eternity, he was satisfied to love himself. Father and son sharing the spirit back and forth. But there was so much love there that it just poured out of him right into us. Paul wrote, writes in Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through this Holy Spirit. We get the the love that has been shared with Father and Son for all eternity. Peter wrote that in Christ we become partakers in the divine nature. We get to have the satisfy all-satisfying bread from heaven in Christ. Jesus is more than enough to satisfy your soul and supply you with 12 Baskets full of love for your neighbor. Will you receive that today and begin to share it tonight? Let's pray. Father, every time we have hunger, I pray you would remind us of Jesus, our satisfaction. Every time we have pain, I pray that we would be reminded that Jesus is our balm. He is our rescue from injustice and oppression. He is the perfect friend to be with us through everything. God, satisfy our souls in Christ. Offer him to us, and may we take of him and eat and have souls that never hunger, never thirst again. Amen.